Thriving, Not Surviving, with your host, Gina Gardner. To lead others, you first need to be the best version of yourself and lead from a place of wholeness. Motivation, empowerment, leadership, personal and spiritual development are just a few of the topics you will hear on Thriving, Not Surviving. So sit back and enjoy the show with your host, Gina Gardner. Gina Gardner here, and I'm so pleased to welcome you to this episode of Thriving Not Surviving. And I have a very special guest for you today. Her name is Terry Simpkin. We met a few months ago and I was incredibly impressed not only with her capacity to share really complex ideas in, in a great way, but just the sheer wealth of her experience. Now, you know me, I always read the bio because I wanna make sure that I get it right. Just listen to this. Dr. Teresa Simkin, or Terry, is a forward-thinking, industry-focused academic consultant, public speaker, and educator. Currently an associate professor and head of MBA programs, she has an international remit at the University of Nottingham. Driven by an almost insatiable urge to see people and organizations harness their potential, Terry finds satisfaction in working with people who know they and their organizations could be better. She's also the founder of Braver, Stronger, Smarter, a suite of personal development programs based on her own global research into the imposter phenomenon, helping individuals and organizations recognize and diminish self-limiting beliefs. You'll know from listening to my programs before, this is something that's so dear to my heart. Terry, huge welcome. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks. So could you just give us, you know, how did you get here? Let, let's just understand a bit of your story, if we may. Yeah, um, well, I have to go back to um, my own university career. Uh, I came to university uh, late in life after having a, a successful career as a in, in hotel management and it was it dawned on me that I couldn't have been the only person who was believing myself to be less capable than other people were telling me that I was and it all it all came to a head to cut a, a long story short when I went to hand in my PhD um, I'd struggled with the idea of doing a PhD because I felt that coming from a working class background, I should never have been doing one. And indeed, all of the theory suggests that people like me didn't do PhD. So there's a weight of evidence to suggest yeah. that I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. And so I felt like a, a, a bit of an imposter through that. But I, I went to hand in my, uh, my, my PhD. So I had a, you know, two lovely bound copies sitting on my lap. And um, I, I drove up, parked the car and couldn't get out of my car. Uh, I was absolutely fixed to the spot and there was a sense of terror knowing that once this thing was actually out in the world, mm -hmm. that other people were going to look at it, that examiners were going to, to pick it to, to pieces as they do and as they should as a, as a, um, a piece of research. Uh, I thought that that was going to be it. Everybody was going to know that I should never have been doing what I was doing and that you know, I would be shown from the imposter that I was and that all my friends, my family and myself would be abjectly humiliated. And 
fortunately, uh, it took me about half an hour, three quarters of an hour to actually you know, get out of the car and hand the thing in. Um, and, and I just had this sense of, of overwhelming fear that all of my world was going to come crashing down because I'd been provided with funding to do this program of research. I'd been, you know, everybody knew that I was doing this piece of research. And so I was consumed with this idea of what was I going to tell people when it came back that I should never have been doing it in the first place. Um, it, that didn't happen, <laughs> fortunately, <laughs> given that I now have a doctorate. Um, but I, it drove home to me that A, I couldn't be the only person who actually had those feelings. And being inquisitive, I started looking at what this might actually be, how this was actually playing out. And of course, it turns out that um, it has been researched since, since the 70s and it has a name and its name is imposter phenomenon. Yeah. I'm amazed at how many people I meet whether it's in um, the corporate world or in um, an entrepreneurial, you know, business owner's world, how many people who to the outside world look incredibly successful and yet are waiting to be, disco- it to be discovered that actually it's all a front and that they're a fraud. Yeah, the, the, the stories that I've been listening to, I've been uh, doing my own research on this over the last five years, a global piece of research, uh, with women from all over a the world and b across all different types of occupations and you're right outwardly these people look to be confident accomplished incredibly capable have a track record of overtly identified success so they may have been awarded or they've got qualifications or they've you know, moved up through their area of of expertise from perhaps entry level right the way through to, to management and directorships and sitting on boards and yet they still think that you know, I've got to this point by sheer luck, by, by some other external factor other than their own capabilities. And, and it amazes me, like you, that you stand looking at these individuals and in their quiet moments, they're thinking, you know, I shouldn't be here. I'm just waiting for somebody to, to tap me on the shoulder. Uh, and the, uh, the really sad thing is that the thing that really hit home to me while I was talking to, to these people as part of my research was how damaging it is and how, how frightening and how, you know, it goes beyond challenging. It's, it's, it's really quite tragic that these people get up and struggle with this. And in some cases, every single day, it's draining. You're living in that flight or fright um, physiological situation the whole time aren't you if you're fearful that you're going to be found out I mean the stress on your body your emotions your your sense of who you are is huge that's right and and I think that's one of the things that is not necessarily communicated through what we see in social media uh, the social media is sort of frame it up as it's essentially what social media mostly are talking about is normal self-doubt and that's that can be quite healthy but the imposter phenomenon because it's cyclical because it's long-term because it is often very deep-seated is much much more profoundly damaging than normal ordinary self-doubt or you know slight fear of failure you're right there is a physical response there is a language around it there is a body language that goes with it as well and so yeah this this idea of feeling this anxiety in the pit of your stomach that that sense of shall I run away or do I do I need to stand here and fight for this that is the physical response and as you say it leads to other things such as anxiety and depression um, maladaptive perfectionism it has all sorts of other physical ramifications that goes beyond 
the social media, you know, stories around self-doubt. I wonder, before we move on, your research, your, your own research, um, has been focusing on women. Do you think men also suffer from this? Yes, the, there's quite a lot of research that identifies that this is not necessarily a gendered construct. So the original work was done on high-achieving women, and I think that's probably where we've got this idea that it's a, you know, something that only women experience, and that's, that's actually not true. However, having said that, women face a whole raft of other social and societal and workplace issues that acts, adds an extra layer of, of uh, difficulty to this 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 construct so whilst men do you know, experience this um and indeed we're, we're seeing quite a lot of uh, you know, men coming out and and identifying the that they may have experienced these types of, of feelings and the cyclical nature of imposter phenomenon um but it, it is it is different for women it, it, it is it is a you know men and women come to this this experience differently because they have different experiences of the broader world if I can put it in those terms I think you know before we move on one of the things to say to anybody who's watching or listening this who is actually suffering themselves or has uh, somebody that they know that's suffering get some help you know don't suffer in silence because it is pretty toxic and the potential that is wasted because people give themselves a glass ceiling so that they don't put themselves under more pressure. It seems to me such a waste. It, it is. And, and again, coming back to the conversations that I've been having as part of my research, some of the comments that people have made to me have said, you know, I wish I'd known about this. I wish I'd known it was an actual thing 20 years ago when I was starting out because I might not have had to have dealt with this you know day in day out year after year and how much more could I have achieved how much how much more and more importantly how much more enjoyment could I actually get out of my achievements which is another you know issue um, but this this idea of of this is something that people just need to live with I think is is really you know quite damaging and, and indeed uh it was michelle obama who who was quoted and i'm paraphrasing who basically said this is just something you need to live with well that's actually untrue there are ways and means of of digging under where this thing comes from it's not necessarily something that you need to carry for years and years once you have named it up once you've identified that there is indeed a thing there are ways and means of digging under the stories that we set up for ourselves and the stories that we're making true to change those stories to recreate that narrative and come to grips with one's own achievements and enjoy them into the future absolutely i mean if you think about it so many of, of these problems are created by you know, chance remarks by parents and teachers that install a belief that actually has no more validity than any other belief, but it becomes people's story and then they look for evidence to make it so. And of course, if you look for evidence with those glasses on, you're always going to find it, aren't you? That's, that's one, exactly right. One of the measures that I often uh, use is to say to people, if somebody else had achieved that, what would your thoughts be? And so often they've got such a different set of, of rules, criteria to measure other people and to measure themselves. But I think you know, people really need to listen to you that if you are suffering from that, do something about it. Get some help. 
Yes, and and I think you know, again from from the evidence I've collected, and you know we've got you know over forty years of other research, you know, it stretches right back to the to the mid seventies. That that is one of the prevailing you know um, streams of commentary is that because this is a learned thing, it's not chemical, it's not a disease, and often social media will frame it up as something that you get diagnosed with, which is entirely incorrect. It it is it is not an, an illness it is a learned suite of responses and sorry if it is learned it can be unlearned yeah, definitely definitely we're living uh, as we record this it's summertime and we are living in unprecedented times aren't we um, and one of the things that i'd like to explore with you is moving forward i, I believe we're moving into a new era of consciousness a new norm there's going to be a, a need for leaders to step up in a very different way. Um, and I wonder what your thoughts are around helping people deal with um, this sense of, you know, even now I, I'm going to be discovered that I'm a fraud, but actually we're going to need people who are confident and will help other people to be confident in them moving forward. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's, it's, again, this is a topic close to my own heart as well. And I've been writing since lockdown, since, so since March this year, around the, the, the new or the better normal, the different business as usual, uh, particularly around, around leadership and emerging managerial paradigms. And I've been talking about this for, for, for several years, about really big ticket issues that have been identifying that we need to shift the way that we perceive what leadership actually is not just who does leadership but how it's enacted what sort of premise does it spring from how do you know, how will leaders have to operate in a, in a new world order and I was talking about this prior to, to COVID um, <laughs> and I, I, I had flippantly suggested that in, in response to a question that said well how are we actually going to make the move and I flippantly said well you know short of a, a global crises of monumental proportions i'm not quite sure how we're going to focus all our energies on this and you know then when a global crisis of monumental proportions actually happened i'm going oh, oh okay <laughs> so, I, i'm not giving you total responsibility no because I'm, not, oh. I'm smiling because i've been saying the same thing slightly different wording but but didn't wish it on everybody i have to say but it, no. it's going to take something big wasn't it it was always going to take something big. And I think some of these questions that we're, we're focusing on now were coming. It's just that our, our, our focus has been, has been much more, um, you know, it's been much more illuminated. The, the voices around change have been amplified, that we're in a position now where we really can't ignore those markers that, that we had been seeing around the, the, the shift in the way that leadership needed to be enacted. And it is, there is a connection between the imposter phenomenon and how people experience it and how they come to leadership. And indeed, you know, people who experience the imposter phenomenon often take themselves out of the leadership race because they don't believe they have the full suite of capabilities that are required of leaders, or perhaps they're not decisive enough, perhaps they're not you know, capable in technical terms enough. And as you mentioned before, you know, people who experience this will often set themselves up much greater levels of, of they will have you know, a more weighty criteria 
than they might place on other people. But what we're seeing now is a shift to leadership that is much more collaborative, that is much less bluster. So there's much less of, of a focus on charisma and much more on capability. And that capability doesn't necessarily need to come from one individual. So if indeed people do believe that they might have gaps in their capabilities, then there is an opportunity to say, well, look, leadership isn't about one person. It's not about hero leadership. It's not about the, the, you know, the one mostly, you know, one guy, and it usually is mostly a guy, in those sorts of roles. It is much more about a distributive enacted process of leadership. So it is uh, you know, leadership by a community. It is get the, the best out of individuals where you, you know, the leaders might surround themselves with people who bring other capabilities to the party. It is not incumbent on that one hero leader. And whilst we've seen it over the, perhaps the last century that that type of leadership has been lauded and applauded, we're seeing now, of course, that we need to have a much more distributed, much more collaborative, much more, you know, we need to employ more empathy and, and it has to be more inclusive. It, it, inclusivity is one of the key aspects of how we're actually going to manage out into a better normal rather than drag all of the old business as usual into a new business as usual. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think one of the, the powerful things about being an enlightened leader is that you recognize that, that in order to lead other people well, you have to lead yourself first. And that it's about taking radical responsibility for your how you are, your words, your actions, your, your very thoughts and emotions, and then being able to imbue that into other people. And, you know, so many leaders in the past have wanted to be the best boy or girl in the class. You know, I won't employ anybody who's not as good as me, but in people who are enlightened about leadership, I want the very best. I want the very best from everybody and my role is to bring them together to ensure that we have a shared vision that we uh, we have core values and they're not just a poster on the wall but they are living um, in terms of our behaviors and the way in which we treat one another our customers our suppliers and so on so couldn't agree with you more but I think for people who may be listening to this perhaps those who have just recognized that that from what you said earlier, I think I've got imposter syndrome. And then we're talking about this whole new way of being. Mm -hmm. that's, that's quite a stretch for some, isn't it? In this first moment of awareness. Sure. Uh, and in fact, just this morning, I had a message for, from a friend of mine in Australia who has been offered a, a, a fabulous opportunity to, to move into leadership she was saying that she was uh, supporting a, a colleague of hers into that role. And that colleague is, has now, um, uh, now no longer in the running and, and it has been offered to her. So a, she wasn't expecting it and B she's saying, Oh, I'm not quite sure that I could take this on. And one of the reasons she said this is because um, she hasn't gone to university. She didn't finish uh, a high school. She went basically just to what needed to be required by law, but had a very successful career in management in, in another industry and now finds herself identifying all of the holes that she, well, the perceived holes in yeah. her, in her background and in her current suite of capability. And one of the main things was that, that she, she doesn't believe herself to be very articulate in terms of writing. And I said, but 
is this is this a key competence? Do you do you have to actually <laughs> so, so I said even if even if it was, we now know that nothing goes out to the public unless it's you know, run past some form of editorial process. So find somebody who can complement your capabilities. You bring this whole other suite of of skills to the, and and you know natural ability that is is very difficult to, to find in an individual. The stuff that you, you are perceiving to be your shortfalls are things that are quite easily found in, in other people or through other, other mechanisms. So take, take what you have that is innately you and that, that is you know, key to that role and then surround yourself with people who can fill in what you perceive yep. to be gaps. Personally, I don't believe that, that there are very big gaps there, but you know, no one person is going to be able to bring all of the capabilities that are required of leaders into the future. It has to be inclusive. It has to be this idea of, well, what am I not seeing? And we've seen this in the UK with the, the you know, using a, a topical example, with the, the response to, um, to the, the pandemic. And it was coming from a you know, some of the criticism is it's coming from a one lens that it is uh, you know, coming from a, a quite a, a privileged view because those are the sorts of people that we find in, in Parliament where what we're really needing is a much more rounded view of what's going on, how other people's lived experiences need to be taken into consideration in order to make a response. And whilst we're seeing this in, you know, the very top echelons of leadership in, in, in you know, in governments, the same is true for organisations, that we need to see things through quite different lenses. And the only way that you can do that is by a collaborative approach. No one person is going to be able to bring that to the table. So in terms of, the, of IP, those stories that we were talking about before, you know, for my friend is, you know, I'm no good at, at putting together articulate arguments on paper. Um, well, Okay, that's fine. Let's let's accept that that's perhaps an area of of, of development. Uh, of development, or indeed, put your energies into where you're really good and backfill those things. So yeah. it's like, okay, well, I'm going to get to the point where I'm not in a short term going to be able to recreate the best writing or the best speech yeah. you know, um, uh, um, composition or or the best policy documents. But I've got the ideas. I've got the ideas which I can communicate to somebody else and I will collaborate with somebody else to bring a, a whole suite of capabilities to the table. Uh, and so rather than this idea of, you know, continually trying to be better at things that we are perhaps, you know, either not, not as interested in or we know that we've got perhaps some, some areas of, of development, that, rather than investing our time and energy into making ourselves better at everything, concentrate on the things that we know to be true that we are good at and that, that brings value to other people and surround ourselves with other people who can who can fill in those gaps i think that's really wise what i would say for me the leader has they've got to know their why yeah. they've got to be able to engage other people in the why that is so important and what it really means yeah. and then it's about seeing the potential in other people and being able to recognize who to bring together you know, making sure that they've got the right, um, within the group, there is the right balance of personalities and skills and experience and being able to manage um, that, to orchestrate, if you like. But I think moving forward more and more, I think 
it's those leaders who are able to have a real sense of possibility yes. that they're going to be illuminating for uh, for those who are not yet aware the possibilities that are out there and i think the danger is so many people keep themselves playing small when there's great uncertainty but great leaders are comfortable with uncertainty and have the capacity to help other people feel confident that there is a way through, that we are going to find success, that we will do it together. Yes. Uh, and in doing so, bring the best out in people. Yeah. And, and I think that's again, that's another reason why people who do experience the imposter phenomenon might be uh, a little bit disenchanted or, or feel less confident about putting themselves forward for these types of you know, the, these sorts of roles or these you know these types of activities uh, because people who experience this will often self-handicap so they will they will use those minor areas of of what we might call development you know the, the things that they perceive themselves to be not quite as good at and they'll say well I can't do that because of this and they set up you know this self-handicapping approach so Coming back to your point about rewriting the stories, identifying what those stories is, unpicking the sto those, those stories that is making contribution to that sense of self-handicapping and diminishing it by collaboration, by putting, you know, putting oneself into a position where it is uncomfortable, where you do have that flight or fight response and say, I've got, I've got to push through this in order to really get to the real story. And the real story might be, I've got you know, a certain suite of capabilities that will bring value to others in this role and, you know, stop perhaps using the minor perceived, you know, shortfalls, um, you know, and, and again, I use the term perceived because okay, quite often... To say, emphasis is on perceived because so often we unpick it, actually, yeah. it's just no. a myth, isn't That's it? Right. Yeah, it's part. It's part of that 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 yeah. that broken story that that that. People, and I I often use the analogy that uh, people who experience the imposter phenomenon tend not to be able to use the rear view mirror of experience. So where you know, other people might be able to look in their rear view mirror when something's coming up, when a challenge is coming up, or a new new opportunity is coming up, people, other people can look in the rear view mirror and say, "Well, I've done all this." stuff behind me I can see where my, my achievements have been well yeah there's a possibility that I'm going to be successful in and this I can use that bit or I I talk to people about look to the evidence yes yeah where's the evidence that in the past that you have abjectly failed the reality is that there's plenty of evidence that you have succeeded yeah. Uh, and there is no reason to assume that if you've been succeeded in those occasions that you're not going to succeed in the future. That's right. And, and that the, the people who experience imposter phenomenon tend not to be able to attribute their successes or their achievements or you know, what they've been good at in the past to yeah. themselves. They will rationalise it away. So there's yeah. this idea that that achievements and success sort of slides off like Teflon. It's, it's, I was in the right place at the right time. If you talk to people like this, the language that they use is I was lucky. I was fortunate. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know quite know how I got here, but you know, I'm, I'm in this role now, so I'm going to have to make the best of it. So they will, there's, there's this idea that if you can a identify the evidence, but there's uh, again, in social media, it's, it's about, Oh, well, you know, just write down all of your successes and, 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 and take notice of them. But yeah. people who experience in the imposter phenomenon tend not to be able to attribute it to themselves. So there might be a little bit of extra work in really saying, well, look, 
tell tell me how this has been attributed to luck tell me how this has been attributed to you being in the right place at the right time and often those types of reasons that that people build up for themselves fall away because it's actually i was in i i have the a suite of capabilities that are not found in other people yeah. that I'm, I may have been in the right place at the right time, but I, I worked to make sure that <laughs> all of these things were actually covered off. My project management was so good that we, we made you know, the best of, of this project and it couldn't have been done without the capabilities that I brought to the table. But people who experience IP tend not to be able to do that. And so there's some effort involved in really sitting down and genuinely having a look at one's own experiences and as you say we're not talking about people who have you know ha have a track record of failure it is very unlikely that they will fail because there's a whole raft of responses that focus on perfectionism and on overwork and hear those other things that come in that relate to stress and anxiety but it's very unlikely that these people will have had a track record of failure or indeed um, you know, expect to, um, to to fail in the future because they will put so much effort yes. into going above and beyond. Yes. So, and and you know, the, the, I think the again in in social media we often see people misinterpreting imposter phenomenon as being people who have got to where they are genuinely by some sort of mistake, and they actually are an imposter. That's not what we're talking about here. We're oh, often yeah. talking about high achieving people who are just unable to see their achievements or evidence their achievements or their successes in their rear view mirror. Theirs is broken or a bit foggy or missing completely. And so they can't see it no. and ge they genuinely can't see it. It's no. not a hum, you know, them being humble or fishing for compliments. It is a genuine inability to attribute their success to their own capacities. Kerry, thank you. You've given us so much insight into the issue and it really behoves people who are listening, you know, time to do something about it, time to own who you are and step into being the best version of you. Uh, and the, the thing is that you're there. The, the only thing to do is to actually acknowledge and own it. So if people wanted to get a hold of you, Terry, how do they do that? Sure. They can go to uh, my website, which is www.braverstrongestsmarter.com. Um, or you can find me at my blog site, which is um, forfakesake.org, and that's where I put my blogs and bits of media. And it's, it's that's a com completely non-commercial website where people can just download some information. Fabulous. And we'll make sure that that's in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. So, folks, don't go away. Um, we've got a short advert, and then it's a genuine chat with Rachel and I. Come and join us for the second half of the programme. Thanks very much. See you in a minute. If you're a businesswoman who is overwhelmed or suffering from imposter syndrome, who is tired of having one disastrous relationship after another, or who finds it hard just to say no. Well, it's time to take care of you. You get the best out of life by contacting Gina Gardner, relationship coach and best-selling author and motivational speaker. Just visit genuinely-you.com 
Or you can email Gina directly at Gina at Genuinely-U.com. Take action now. Start to thrive rather than simply survive. Imagine being a highly successful, enlightened leader who is in complete alignment with your best self, who makes a positive difference on a daily basis. Let me introduce Gina Gardner, an expert in developing transformational leadership with over 30 years of experience. Gina has developed a unique and unrivaled approach to help you step into your genuine power to become an enlightened leader. And when you do, amazing things happen. Go to enlightenedleadership.co or email Gina at Gina at genuinely-u.com. As you know, on our radio show, the second part of this show is a genuine chat with myself and Rachel. And I'm really pleased to um, be talking with her today. And we're going to be talking about expansion. Hey, Gina. Hello there. Really pleased to see you. Now, those of you that have met us before will know that both of us are number one international best-selling authors. (laughs) We write very differently. Rachel is a spiritual novelist and has the most amazing trilogy of books called Beyond the Veil. And I really recommend them to you. My books are all about self-help, leadership, leading within your own life. And all our books are available on Amazon. Today's theme is that of expansion. Expansion, not just of your thinking, but of what horizons that you see and you look for looking at expanding out of your comfort zone you know as we record this it's just after christmas i have to smile to myself because the other expansion that springs to mind is the expansion of one's waistline having (laughs) had (laughs) but ultimately i think this is going to be a year where you have a choice to make with what's been going on in the pandemic i think many people have felt a sense of contraction living um, in lockdown, for example, where your physical space is limited because you can't just go and see friends or you can't travel, you can't go on holiday in quite the same way that you're used to. And it would be very easy for that sense of things getting smaller and tighter um, and more restricted to not only affect the physical part of your life, but the the mental, emotional and spiritual part of your life. And for me, the interesting thing is that when I speak to people, whilst their physical situation has contracted, Mm. their understanding of themselves and of the world, their capacity to think beyond has expanded. And there's a bit of a, um, a paradox, really, is that it's taken that, that 
contraction, that, that life getting simpler, smaller, has given people the opportunity to think and feel and be bigger. What's your thoughts? Um, I definitely agree with the expansion of the waistband. Uh, that happens <laughs> over Christmas and um, indeed as you get older. Expansion yes. of, of, the, of the emotions and the mind. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a choice. I'm slightly interested to hear that the, the contraction or, and the oppression that's been going on um, in the last year um, has resulted in, in people that you've been talking to um, being more expansive. I, I wonder if um, if that's more a case that they're just fixated on what's going on in the world and um, they're not actually expanding their viewpoints, their, their um, questioning, their critical thinking, so on and so forth. Um, I know that from my perspective, uh, expansion at the moment is actually quite hard. Um, I think sometimes that when when everything outside is feeling uncomfortable, and I mean outside of yourself in the sense of um, the id, <laughs> is feeling uncomfortable, even if in the moment you're doing the logical checks of there's no tigers in the bushes, nothing's coming to hurt me or whatever. I think it can be very hard to move past um, realizations around um, how difficult life can be. I know that for myself, um, as I approach writing a, a brand new story, trying to get my mind into that area, which, you know, the act of creation is, is a, a moment of expansion beyond, again, one sort of, you know, immediate self-awareness. Um, it's actually very hard. It's something that I, when, when I manage to get hold of a tiny bit of its tail, it feels good, but it, it's really hard to, to, you know, grabble around in the dark and find that. I mean, I think if you think of expansion in terms of moving out of your comfort zone, then it's a little bit of an easier concept to sort of get your head around um, because we're all very aware of, of the immediate comfort and we're also very aware of our immediate discomfort. Um, and so taking little steps like that, that's the other aspect I'd say about expansion is that it's the word itself is so big, isn't it? Expansion. Mm -hmm. What to where? To why? For what purpose? Yeah. It can begin to feel a little bit like I'm just going to blow myself up. So I think yeah. so whilst you know you sort of struggle with that concept, I think the easiest thing to do is is to just keep it simple and to to take those minute steps. And before you know it, you will have expanded. Just a bit like your waistband. Just one more mince pie. <laughs> I'd like to, to think of people to think about the expansion in terms of self-knowledge. Mm. Many people um, that I've spoken to over the last year have had the, the space and the silence mm. to actually go within, which at one level, the paradox is that that feels as if you're, you're imploding. Mm. But actually, when you are, have that courage to go within and to consider your values, what's important to you. I mean, many people, I think, have reset uh, their sense of values over the last few months. Um, and rather than focusing on material things and the distractions that, that being able to go out and about and socialize, that they have had to look inside and recognize that actually 
what's important to them is different to what it had been prior to that time when they um, had that space. And I think are, you're talking about that from an extrovert's point of view. If you're okay. already introverted, if you're already used to being within your own internal yep. landscape, then all of that external stuff is it's kind of what you were doing anyway. So, except, yeah, now there's a slightly sort of difficult reason as to why you're definitely an introvert now as opposed to possibly an ex slightly extroverted introvert. Um, I do think that, yeah, people who, who gather their energy from going and talking to people and being out in the world and, um, you know, verbalising um, their thoughts and, and having feedback, I do think that having um, this period of time to to have to be introverted, to only get your feedback through remote media like, you know, Zoom calls, I think that's that's been um, probably an extremely challenging time. And... Um, yeah, they're probably having to develop new skills of managing their emotions and um, and coming to to rather a scary conclusion that that they they've got to listen to themselves a bit more. <laughs> it's interesting because as an introvert, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting because I've met many introverts who who are who do their internal sorting out of their thinking mm. before they verbalize. I think like all of these things, it comes down to one's uh, understanding one's definition of mm. the language that we use. And I think, mm. you know, so often we use words and we are using them in, in our way. We have a blueprint for those words, which is ours, which other people don't share. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, part of why I suggested that we talked about expansion today is because I think people are facing a direct choice. Mm. And the direct choice is that they can stay within the fear and the anxiety which exists around the world at the moment at a very high, very obvious level. Yep. Or they can choose to expand beyond that and to see that there is a future and that there are possibilities that are not based on fear and contraction, but they are based on having faith that things are going to get better and that you will uh, have the option of making different choices moving forward Mm. that are dependent upon what's important to you, Mm. Um, you whatever your values may be. Um, And using this time as an opportunity to almost reset how you operate as an individual completely within yourself but also how you're going to operate in this world moving forward Mm. and whether you are going to allow all of the things that are happening to keep you playing small and keep you wanting to to stay safe and and have the illusion of control within your life which um, which means that you you Um, are frightened to try new things to do new things to be the uh, a newer version of you Mm. or whether or not you're going to take this opportunity and recognize that you know life is for living it's not a spectator sport and that the quality of your life whether you are in lockdown or not is actually down to you that you know the externals do have an impact and it's very nice uh, you know, for those people who have huge space and lovely surroundings, life is more comfortable. 
but actually how you are as um as a, a spiritual being is not dependent upon whether you live in a flat or a mansion it's not dependent upon anything other than how you choose uh, to allow it to be mm. and so expansion at that level i think becomes a question of how courageous you are how prepared you are to face yourself and your demons and step out of those and allow your past which has shaped you um to recognize that that past is past and your present and your future can be different if you actually choose it to be mm. now that's not necessarily easy um but it is an option that's open to you mm. yeah i mean it's certainly true that that possibly in what we now refer to as the old normal which was normal um that many people distracted themselves with a lot of things um, yes. just, you know activity uh work uh just you know getting on with stuff so that they didn't have to actually confront um sort of you know a, a a grumbling dissatisfaction or or possibly actually didn't even have to confront sort of you know an acknowledgement that where they were was exactly where they wanted to stay and you know they were being pressurized to get promotion and all this sort of, yeah, you've got to constantly develop and constantly do this. And for some people, the expansion actually is a sense of, actually, I just want to be still. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, but I mean, this is, this is something that I think um, if you look at it from any angle, if you came, came at it from, say, a psychological or even a psychiatric point of view, if you came at it from a pharmaceutical uh, having to be medicated to uh, feel okay in the world, um, the antidepressants and all of the um, theories around that. Um, ultimately, you're you're only really left with yourself. And if you if you haven't got an ability to be comfortable with yourself at any time in your life, happy, sad, indifferent, whatever, um, then this concept of expansion is is um, yeah effectively going to be beyond you. <laughs> I mean, you know, ultimately, when when we've transitioned from this um, physical manifestation, then then we're totally expanded. Yes. To to take the word to its you know that definition, um, and and obviously a lot of what drives us in this physical ma manifestation is fear about that. What that means. I mean, some people believe that that is you know it's it. You're not expanded. You're just gone. Yes. Other people believe that that it is that this is the the hell. And and that transitioning, it can only become to to misuse the the term heaven, but you know the in, expansion into our back into our true selves, um, it is where we're meant to be. So you know you're doing the suffering now, and the, the death yeah. is not a negative thing. Death is a, is a wonderful thing. It's a rebirth. Yeah. So it depends where you are on the spectrum of of what you believe the meaning of life is in terms of where you take that definition of expansion i'm pretty certain that for my teenage kids whose uh, lives have definitely imploded you know they can't socialize they they can't the fact that my, my daughter's not going to have a prom this year i'd be i'd be amazed if um if the authorities allow young people to gather in a single room and do something fun like dance and for her, that's that's a real that's a real loss. It is. Nothing's going to happen bad to her. I mean, you know, there is the perspective that I didn't have a prom when I was that age, 
but because she has an expectation and that and that possibility is removed from her she can't help but feel that her life is not expanding that her life is doing the opposite and I think that's the challenge you know whatever age you are if you feel that things are not expanding, that they're contracting, then that's your reality. And part of the reason for um, suggesting that we talk about expansion is to highlight to people who are listening or watching that you have the choice to stay in that place. Now, I fully accept that for many people, even recognising that they have a choice is something that they're going to find too challenging because staying in the discomfort is the known but ultimately it's your mind your thoughts your beliefs which um, drive the, the sort of world you live in and I'll give you an example I have a friend who I met in hospital in 1984 mm-hmm. she's been housebound since 1984 mm. She, um, she measures how many steps she can do in the day mm-hmm. and everything that she does, every physical activity is measured in terms of her capacity because she has such a finite amount of energy and mm-hmm. she gets pain in direct proportion to how much activity she takes. Mm-hmm. So for her, the stepping up to go to the loo or to uh, onto her shower chair or in and out of her bed, um, those are the things that define her physical world. Mm-hmm. So for many people looking in, her world has been incredibly small for many, many years, decades. Mm-hmm. One of the things that she's learned to do is to live an expanded life within her, within her mind. Mm-hmm. And she is someone who, who has such a sense of possibility that is not defined by her physical incapacity. Mm-hmm. She reads, she t- takes an interest in what's going on. Mm-hmm. And whilst she would never choose to be in the situation she is in, um, she has not allowed that to define her. Now, I know that's an extreme case. But I think, you know, as we, when we have the luxury of perspective and we can look back on this period in time, we will be making a judgment as to whether or not we have that Um, this period of time has given us an opportunity to grow and expand or whether it has limited us and that limitation is going to carry on Mm. as we move forward Mm. now we're reaching the end of our time today talking about expansion and I want to leave people with some thoughts around how perhaps to help them um, feel that life is more expanded that they have choices that they didn't have um, prior to the conversation. Yeah. Now, right at the beginning of this, you talked about, you know, your creativity um, Mm -hmm. in terms of writing book number four and how that feels good. Mm -hmm. And I would say to people that finding an activity that you feel to be creative, and that would be different for different people. Sometimes it's writing, sometimes it would be dabbling in paint or drawing or cooking or sewing or getting out into the garden. Um, 
whatever works for you, making music is another um, uh, way of being creative. But I think one of the, the, the most magical ways to expand your horizons is to allow yourself to be creative. Mm-hmm. And I think many children feel creative and are able to harness that. Um, and it's only as they grow up as adults that they, they dismiss it as something that is not worthy of their time and attention. Mm. But I think when we harness our creativity, it expands our thinking, our horizons, expands our very sense of who we are. Mm. And I would urge you all, you know, find something in the next week or two um, and give yourself permission to be creative. You know, if you're painting, it doesn't have to be a work of art. It just has to be something that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, marbling. I was talking to a friend yesterday and she's been doing some marbling with, with oil inks and paper. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually require huge skill, no. but she's really enjoyed creating a whole range of, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, images, patterns, which she's then using to mount um pictures that photographs that she's taken and so it is about you know just letting go and finding experiment you don't actually have to know before you start whether this is the right thing for you Mm. just need to give it a go yeah and by expanding in that way that will open the door to other possibilities now our time is up today (laughs) thank you very much for joining us Please do go and look at Amazon. Rachel Davidson, um, Beyond the Veils, her three novels are there. Beyond the Veils, Beyond Veils. Beyond Beyond Veils. (laughs) There again, so we get it right. The trilogy is called Beyond Veils. Beyond Veils. Thank you very much. Um, You'll find all my books on uh, Amazon too. Please go and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Genuinely You. There's lots of videos there. You'll find our genuine chats and lots more. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Email me at gina at genuinely-you.com. Keep safe, be creative, and see how you can expand. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye now.